Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and we are here to talk about the women's tour that just concluded on Sunday. So today is Tuesday, the day before yesterday. I am joined by Gracie Elvin. Gracie, hello. Hello. Um, my voice is a bit croaky, still recovering from spicy cough, but I think I had a croaky voice anyway, so probably won't even notice. <laughs> I got to say, you... I don't know what you were doing over the weekend with your like outfits, but you looked amazing. And the orange pants, like the orange pants were amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm bringing back the flares, although not really. They're already back. Um, Got to do some cool studio stuff for the women's tour and the Dauphiné. So it was a good excuse to dress up. Very cool. Yeah. As long as you don't bring back low rise, low rise pants are. They're already back. They are. No, 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 no. They're not back. They're not back. The kids, they don't know. They don't understand. They'll get over this really quickly. (laughs) That was Amy Jones. Amy, how's it going? I've got a habit of just like piping up before I'm ready. I did it on the other podcast, but whatever. Can't help. Can't help just throwing in my two cents. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And Tilda, on her birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yes. And very nice start to the day. We're missing Lauren today. She's off on her real job, but the four of us are going to chat about the women's tour and everything that happened. I feel like instead of diving straight into the the actual racing and what happened, the first thing that we need to discuss is the live coverage, because this is something we've been harping on about all year long. And especially when it comes to the women's tour, We've we've always loved this race. Like I think it's safe to say that everyone on this podcast loves the women's tour because of when they started, they really set the bar for women's racing, even without live coverage. But then as other races caught up with them and surpassed them, they kind of never uh lived up to what we expected of them. Uh, and especially they've never had live coverage before. But they announced days before the race that they would have live coverage for the race this year. And they started out with the very first day, start to finish live coverage. We even got to see the neutral, which I don't think has ever happened in a women's world tour race ever. Well, definitely not in a world tour race, which was amazing. But yeah, we we had live coverage of the women's tour and pretty good live coverage as well. There was a couple of days, there was just an hour, but multiple days it was start to finish. The queen stage was almost shown in its entirety. What do we think? I think the main thing about it is that we don't need to talk about it because they had it so <laughs> we're done <laughs> trying to be positive about something for once <laughs> we don't know what to do with it do we we're like it was a good thing Let's positivity what is it <laughs> I think when I saw the stage schedules on GCN and the first one said like 10 55 and I thought oh, well that can't be when the coverage starts that's just when the stage starts I wonder when the coverage is going to start and then got to Monday morning it still said that and I thought okay weird clicked on it at 10.55 and you've got them lining up at the start line it was yeah it was honestly very shocking um but I really like the fact that you know it was quite a struggle for them to get this live coverage and I know it was a long uh drawn out process for the organizers but the fact that they could have just done an hour 45 minutes every day but they really looked at what they could do and they did as much as they could and on some days that was the whole stage and I think yeah kind of going above and beyond um, not just what was possible, but really as much as they as they could do with the longest coverage available was, yeah, just exciting and very novel. Yeah, it was incredible. And I think for this race in particular, like they've they've received a lot of 
flack over the years for not having live coverage, especially last year. And it's been something that we've specifically for this race and for the Giro that we've really um, harped on about for a while. And the they had only 4G to work with. So there was like some sections that were fuzzy and some bits that they that it cut out. But I don't even care that like, I mean, that's something that they, you know, they can only do uh, what they've got. And they even like the Giro having some issues with their coverage and not showing the queen stage would have gone over less like would have not not made us so angry if they'd done such a good job on the other days. And I feel like for the women's tour, like they did such a good job with what they had that I honestly, I can't say anything but good things about that race at the moment because I'm just so excited about what we got. Yeah, there were really good stages, although we can go into this a little bit later. Still a little bit dangerous finishes, unfortunately, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys just reiterating that point of like above and beyond with the coverage when they were scrambling really not that long ago. And, and that was kind of why we didn't get to do our own um, commentary from the Australian crew at SBS because we just didn't have that information in due course to plan ahead. But, you know, we're still able to broadcast what they had and the uh, the original commentary team, which was still great. So you know, like overall big positives and hopefully that just gives them that momentum. They needed a bit of traction again going forward in the future. Yeah, definitely. Should we talk about the actual race? Yes. (laughs) We should start. Well, actually, I've got something at night, but yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) We should start at the beginning with stage one, which was pretty, it was a pretty mellow day. Um, a lot, the, the commentary goes on a lot about the roads and I feel like the roads are something that we should talk about just so people understand why that's something that gets talked about so much. Um, but it did come down to a sprint as I think everyone would have predicted. What no one predicted was that Webus didn't win the sprint. And that was because there was a crash, uh, on one of the final corners and Clara Capone took the first stage FDJ. I feel like we should save an FDJ chat for the end, but for them to win the first stage is just, I think is continues to um, solidify that this team is a team to watch for the rest of the year in no matter what the race is, they've got so many cards to play and they're good at playing the cards that they, that they have. Cause a lot of teams, you know, have a lot of cards and then can't follow through and FDJ they did for this race and they have. So it was an awesome win for Capone, but uh, I, Gracie, we can chat about the dangerous finishes. Cause this finish was definitely a lot of people went down in the final, in that final corner. It was Weebus and her lead out girl and Corinne went down as well, which I think we would have looked for her for a stage win as well. So it was a really uh, dangerous finish. The first one. Yeah. And unfortunately it's kind of a, a common thing in this tour. Like I've seen finishes similar to this in the past. I think I did about five editions since the beginning. And uh, yeah, there was some great days and there was some not so great days. And I crashed in every single edition I ever raced in. And it just tells you, it told me that, you know, it was just a bit more dangerous than normal than what we're used to um, because I don't necessarily crash that much. Um, And I think that 
you know, like a lot of these towns are putting a lot of money to have the starts and finishes to help, you know, the tourism and community stuff as well as supporting the race. Like that's all part of that race economy and it's important. And then they want to have, you know, the finish, the start or finish line right in the middle of town and starting off it's not a problem because you have the neutral zone. Sometimes the neutral zone in women's tour used to be up to 10K because they just try and get you as far out of town as possible until they drop the flag. But if they're finishing, the finish line is in those the middle of those ancient towns like of course the roads are tiny because they're, they've been there for hundreds of years and the the road services are oily and it's often that like half wet weather like not quite torrential rain but not you know dry enough that it's not that slippery and you could see in that footage from stage one that it was more likely than not that it was oil that made that crash happen but it was just way too narrow anyway there's nothing wrong with having corners that close to the finish, but that was way, way too narrow for a corner that close to the finish. That's the, I think that's the main point of difference and watching all of the parked cars in that last kilometre and the fencing to narrow those lanes even more, even though they're already narrow, was just kind of like that just shouldn't happen. It, sh- it, it should actually be against the safety rules. So I, I'm surprised that they were allowed to create a finish like that. And unfortunately it created quite a serious incident and, and lucky no one was seriously hurt, but it certainly affected the outcome of the race and probably affected a few people in the next stages as well. The other thing that's interesting about that finish in that stage is like, obviously there was an, the neutralization of the race for however long it was like 40 minutes and hearing from some people, um, they there was actually like an attempt at some sort of consensus that they weren't going to race to the finish and apparently it was DSM who were pushing for that to happen obviously because they had Lorena Weavers who was like nailed on to win because it was dangerous basically because they they they'd seen that it was a sketchy finish I guess that kind of proved the point (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because there was this conversation about they were taking the GC times at 3K on that stage, weren't they? And this all seemed to come about during the stoppage. So I don't know if you heard any more about that, Amy, about if that conversation came up whilst they were stopped, because I don't understand if you thought it was dangerous, why wouldn't that have been a conversation before the stage? But the thing that I thought maybe was that they because during the stoppage, they were showing shots of the finish line. And even looking from the fixed finish line camera, you could see this kind of slightly downhill road with a big like chicane. And then you could see a corner and you could tell it wasn't that far away. And I thought, have the, have the race directors been like sat in the car watching the GCN stream, seeing this finish and gone, mm, that doesn't look safe and brought it up during that hour stoppage? I don't know, because it's it's uncommon that something like that comes up mid-stage. I don't know if it was the directors. I think it was the riders. But because I was confused as well, because I when I first heard it, I was like, hang on, were they saying that they wanted to like neutralize the finish because they had all been stopped for so long and everyone was like cold and wet and whatever? And at first I was a bit when I heard that part, I was kind of like, well, that's not really a reason not to race the finish. But then turned out it was related to the safety. But yeah, like I guess maybe like they'd just been, they took that opportunity when everyone was stopped to talk about it or to try and, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was something that, I think it actually, I think I saw Rachel, Jerry would tweet that riders had been talking about it before as well. Hmm. I mean, at that point they were, 
in the Peloton together and like chatting with each other while they were riding or like they were all kind of get together at that point. So it probably did um, snowball, I guess, is not really the right term. But yeah, they were stopped for a really long time. It was like 40 minutes in the end or something. Yeah, I think it was near an yeah. hour by the time she got going. Yeah. Everyone sat in the cars, high tech products, having a little dance. <laughs> the dancing was great because can you imagine like a men's men's race stopping and the men dancing to kind of pass the time? No, 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 no. They'd be throwing it diva fits. They'd be like, "Yeah, take me home. I'm not doing that." <laughs> Where's my boss? Yeah, yeah. Where's my yeah? Exactly. Where's my boss with a <laughs> coffee machine on it and a fucking I don't know. <laughs> Love you, men. Oh, anyway, so yeah, but apart from the sketchy finish and apart from the stoppage, Capone won the stage. So going into stage two, Capone was wearing the leader's jersey. And then unsurprisingly, stages two and three were won by Weebus. Um, she she missed out on her hat trick. She already had that at Ride London. So probably fine. <laughs> It'll live. Actually, she, she didn't technically. Oh, you mean all three in a row? What is well, the three actual in a definition row. of a She hat won trick? three stages. Yeah, I, I don't really know, but I, I take it as three in a row, not like three total. Well, it's three It's three goals in one match, isn't it? Mm. Correct. In football, but, which is where it comes from. So correct. three so, stages in one race. Maybe she could still consider that. Sure. We'll take it. Yeah. she. We'll give it to her. I mean. I'd claim it. Stage <laughs> stage two was like stage two was the one where she really i mean she did this at ride london so we've seen it but she just like she had there was multiple bike lengths between her and second i mean she just she's so freaking good at sprinting it's it's unreal i mean it it's real but (laughs) podcasting is hard i'm back it's been a month i'm fine it's okay but yeah she she won stage she won stage two by Multiple bike lengths over Barbara Garishi and, and Sherry Bussett, who that was a weird thing at the finish with Sherry and being shoved up against the barriers and taking your hand off the bars. That's usually um, really frowned upon and can result in a fine or relegation, but nothing came out of that. Well, I, I have an insight, but I want to know what you guys think first <laughs> about who was in the wrong there. Well, for me, like, I don't like for sure. Gurishi like deviated like she was moving in yeah but she was kind of following like the same line that Weebus was doing ahead of her and I don't know if she like purposely I was like analyzing this after and like I don't know much about sprinting or like what's meant to happen and I asked Sam and he was like saying that she was like looking down and it looked as if like she could actually see Shari behind her and like kind of did it I don't know and then there's all this stuff that came out about like apparently Garishi has a reputation for this which I did not know about she does does. kind of have a reputation for some sketchy maneuvers yeah that's my two cents well I think that she has been a good sprinter for a very long time she's seen a lot of finishes she's cluey and she has been known to do similar and worse things so you know, I don't want to badmouth a rider, but I think that she she didn't do anything to cause a full relegation. I think that, you know, like she didn't need, like she wasn't given any consequences and she probably didn't deserve to be, but it's certainly that it was on that borderline of that's the wrong thing to do. And in general, it is the wrong thing to do. So I think 
you just don't close the door like that so close to the line and yeah it's just dangerous but on the other hand Shari was also taking the inside which is really dangerous and you see in men's sprints all the time that door getting closed and you either stop pedaling or you crash so like that's also the choice that you have to make but she did have a clear line when she started sprinting and then she didn't so I think that's why Barbara is still the one that's more in the wrong and hands off the bars thing as well like when you watch it back it's not like she was shoving her like aggressively she was just kind of I think touching her to be like yo I'm here like don't crash me yeah kind of thing. that's how it seemed anyway I mean look she didn't full-on punch her in the head like some dude did in the Dauphiné do you know what I'm saying it could have been worse <laughs> yeah. that's the standards we're working towards don't punch people in the head and everything's all good <laughs> in general there's no you know little hitty slappy after the finish lines but I have seen it once before in women's cycling really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was watching that. You're gonna have to tell us the goss about this afterwards. <laughs> um, but no, I was watching that in the Dauphiné and I was kind of thinking, like, if this happened in women's, imagine like when when this when women do that sort of thing, they get branded as like you know hysterical. hysterical. Yeah. yeah. And like these men are like literally like slapping each other. It's like handbags at dawn. Yeah, it's yet, not good. No, no condoning of any violence of any type in, no. in this podcast. No. It just makes you look very immature too. Like it just looks stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, back to Weebers and uh, her great team support. I, I think that's another big point too. Like oh, she's clearly the quickest rider in the peloton at the moment, but she's getting some really great lead outs as well. And, and from a variety of riders, it's not just one wingman that she has. She has you know, multiple women that get her into good position and get her, you know, into that great momentum to then just put the turbo on. It's pretty cool to watch, I think. Yeah, I think that DSM is, I you guys said this um, in the last group pod, but they're one of the teams that's really perfected the lead out. I mean, we saw Trek has, they can kind of do it, but they also, they don't tend to full send for one rider. And when they do, it does work, but a lot of the times they've got multiple goals in the race. So they don't actually do like a full lead out. And, um, I think DSM they've, the lead out is the one thing, but what they really are good at is timing. Like they're so good at timing everything. She's never left, uh, to try to fight for position in the final. That's something that Trek, for example, like they run out of riders sooner than they should when they're doing a lead out and other teams as well. But DSM, they time it to perfection almost every time. And she, she really doesn't have to worry about being dropped off in the right spot. She's just always, they always put her where she needs to be to be able to win. And then she follows it up by being the best sprinter in the world right now. I think that's the thing with DSM is that they so rarely get it wrong. I mean, you look at a lot of sprinters and a lot of trains and that, and they can be good, but they might get pushed out of position or, as you say, make just one small mistake. But TSM just seems to be totally flawless with it. And I don't know how or why, well, I don't know how you do that. Like, how do you avoid making mistakes every single time? I guess it's just really well-disciplined. But yeah, apart from on stage one where they had some really bad luck, there was no mistakes um, in those in those next two stages. And yeah, when you have a great lead out, you never have any misfortune, you're never pushed out of position and the best sprinter, there is just no way to beat that. I think what they must do, because I think 
there aren't actually that many teams that have like a whole squad like centered around a sprinter like that. And so I imagine they must like practice that together. And that's why they're so well versed in it because other teams like Trek, like they do have sprinters, but they're also like, they don't even, they don't have a dedicated like sprint squad. Yeah. I think you've all made good points there. I think there's like a lot of factors like, you know, different agendas, having GC riders that you're protecting as well as a sprinter and, and, and some riders that don't particularly like the chaos that, you know, just pull too early. Um, and I think practice is a huge one. That's a really great point as well. And something that I've done in the past in team training camps is doing lead outs on the road and you, you set a, a point of like 1400 meters or, you know, however long you want to practice how it feels and you fail as a team of five or six with no bunch around you, like you fail in that situation. And it's, it's such a wake up call to realize how much you do need to practice and not wait for the races to just practice. So I, I definitely think and agree that they're probably practicing it in training as well, because you have to be self-disciplined. It is all about self-discipline. It's not just about having a plan and committing to it. It's having the self-discipline to stick to the plan and to know exactly how it feels and it's really tricky to do and it's such a bugbear of mine to see a great train and trek is a great example to be like they have four of the best riders in the world leading another best rider in the world out and they fuck it up almost every time and it's just like too early it's too early and you're wasting all that energy it's so frustrating <laughs> Unless they're leading Elisa out on the last stage of this race. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing too is like having this conviction that you're, it's it's like I think that's another thing that DSM know that they have the best sprinter in the world and they're all 100% in because it's worth it because it'll probably have a good outcome. And I think a lot of other are doubting of like sprint, but we know we won't might not win it's just like that tiny percent change in that mental attitude as well like and you see that with that very last stage which we'll come to later it's just like there's no there's no difference in form in a week <laughs> it's just all mental yeah it's such a confidence game sorry guys you're all right <laughs> should we move on to suit three two sorry for the listeners Abby is like acting as if like she's like not prepared or like something's gone wrong. She is literally feeding her baby while she's doing this podcast. Like she does not need to apologize for anything. She's supposed to be napping right now, but she's going through like a little bit of a phase where she's like, no, I don't want to. I'm going to nap actually while I'm eating. So that means that you don't get to do anything other than hold me. (laughs) (laughs) Great, Abby. Thanks. Uh, so obviously we was one stage three and excitingly on stage three, Alexandra Manley finished second and Corinne finished third, which was awesome. I mean, you guys talked about Alexandra in the last pod and how well she did at the, at Turingen. And this was kind of a great opportunity for her to show some of that form in a world tour race. And I think stage three, she finished quite well. And obviously stage five, she did really well and we'll get to that, but, um, to, Finished second behind Webus in in a sprint was impressive from her. And 
also for Weebus to take stage three after taking stage two. And she took the GC as well on stage three from Capone. So a little bit of a shakeup in the leader's jersey. Yeah, I think the the bike exchange director said after that stage that coming second behind Weebus is like a victory. Um, I don't know if Manly necessarily thought that, but looking at it, being kind of the best of everyone else um, in a world tour sprint like that is um, quite an accolade. That was quite an interesting stage in some ways in that that was when I really realised quite how good a rider like Pfeiffer Georgie is. They were going into the finale. She was leading the sprint out and they were like dropping Corinne and Alex. And I thought, this girl is going fast. And this is the one thing that I always think about with DSM as well, is that if their lead out riders are that good, imagine in a few years time when they move on to other teams and could go for a sprint themselves and have their own lead out, then we might finally have the kind of really stacked sprint field that, um, we've kind of been waiting for to really challenge around Phoebus, but it seems like it could be her own teammates who are the riders coming up to do that. Oh, that's so interesting. Cause like we don't see that on the women's side very often. Cause we don't see lead outs like this that are so strong on the women's side very often. And this is something that on the men's side, there's so many male lead out riders that go on to be subpar sprinters at other teams, but it's, we've just never, we've never had that opportunity on the women's side. So it's like so exciting. Well, it's interesting about that too, because um, Charlotte Cool on the final stage, Weebiz afterwards, like she won, but in the post-stage interview, she was just looking real, like not stoked. And then it turned out that they were supposed to be going for Charlotte Cool and something didn't work out. And so she was actually like really disappointed that she didn't get to lead, her, lead out Charlotte for a change instead, which I thought was really nice. I don't know if... I don't know if she was disappointed that she didn't get to lead Charlotte out or if they had quite an argument at the end oh, of the did stage. did Oh, yeah. Tilda's got the tea. She was on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we save this for stage, six, for stage six or should we do it now? Just do it now. I want to know. Yeah, do it now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that final stage, I was obviously at the finish and it's such a funny one at the finish because you kind of, if you want to be past the finish to talk to riders, you see who wins, but you don't see what happens in the sprint. So Phoebus came through as the winner and I thought, oh, great, like she's won. Um, and Charlotta had stops just down the road. And I thought, I'll go and speak to Charlotta to talk about, you know, winning all these stages and being such a good lead out. And she was immediately very unhappy. And she said, oh, just, just wait a minute and we'll talk in a minute. And she was having a drink. But she seemed really, really annoyed. And then Pfeiffer came over and Charlotta goes, I told her to wait and she didn't wait about Vibus and I was just waiting thinking oh she was going to talk to me in a minute and then Lorena comes up and they start yeah having a bit of a heated discussion in Dutch so I don't know what was being said and I made my escape at that point thinking no not getting in the middle of this um but yeah apparently the plan was to go for Charlotte and I haven't really watched back the sprint in much detail but she lost Lorena's wheel so Lorena went for it um and obviously won because she's a great rider but yeah, I think they were quite unhappy with each other. And Lorena probably thought, well, you weren't there, so I had to go. And Charlotte obviously thought that she should have waited for her. So I don't know if Lorena was disappointed or if she was just a bit disgruntled with the uh, argument that happened there. Damn, okay. Because the image that she was projecting was like, I'm disappointed that I didn't get to like pay my teammate back. But now we know the BTS. 
interesting <laughs> but also like if you lose your if you lose your team like I don't know if if you wait then you've kind of lost the whole thing right like what well yeah like? I think in term if what you want to go for is the win I think what happened was right that Libas just went because you have to make mm-hmm. that split split second decision but you could argue that if she'd if she'd waited you know Charlotte might have got second or third but like that wouldn't really be good enough for DSM so I think I think yeah, in the grand scheme of things, Vibas probably made the right decision, but I can also see why Charlotta would have been annoyed about it because from your point of view, you've been given this chance and then, oh, the designated sprinter just goes for it anyway. Um, but I think it shows how you just have to be up there and if you can't if you can't be up there in the right place like Vibas is every time, then you're not going to get the chance. Yeah. I mean, her ability to make split-second decisions is why she's so good. Yeah. And if you get given a chance and you're not there, then... Yeah, and also that's something that, like, Charlotta will get better at uh, as she's given more opportunities. Like, she'll get better at sussing out when to do something and, like, when to make a move. And for her, she's super young. She's, like, this is her first year on DSM. She's really young, and she'll only learn with making mistakes like that. And maybe they were... they they weren't happy with each other in the end, but that's, it's a mistake that I think every sprinter has made and she'll only get better. She's one of Lauren's favorite riders. If Lauren was here, she'd be talking her up. Update. She is actually the same age as Weavers. Really? Yeah. yeah it's weird though. She's it? 23. Hmm. But she's, she's not as, she's not nearly as experienced. I mean, especially mm-hmm. like at world tour and when it comes to Young in like racing age, not that does that still doesn't work. Young in racing years, but she did obviously her kind of under twenty three um, shift with next generation, whereas Vibus went like straight to it. I always think Vibus is like twenty eight because she's has so many victories. Something. What is it now? Like forty five. Yeah, it must be nuts. It's totally insane. <laughs> All right, so stage four. Stage four was when we really started to get the general classification battle, when things started to heat up. There was at one point a breakaway. Well, I don't think you can call it a breakaway when it's like all the top riders in the peloton, including the the winner and second place on the day. Uh, we're in like an elite selection. It was still a while to go, like 117, 115K to go. And then it all came back together thanks to DSM, who obviously had Weebus in the leader's jersey, 4K to go, attack started flying. Grace Brown went solo and was chased down by Elise Longo Borghini and Kashini Wadoma. The three of them rode to the right line. Grace won in the sprint, Kash a second, Elise a third. The beginning of the, oh, Elise can't sprint uh, saga that continued all the way to the end of the race. And and Kasha in second, she's really, she's, I mean, we'll talk about stage five in a second, but she's just so close to winning and it's so frustrating for Makasha fan and also probably for Kasha as well. (laughs) (laughs) But a great win by Grace Brown, who obviously took the leader's jersey with the win. They finished 10 seconds ahead of uh, fourth place and there was still some gaps coming into the finish after that. But it was, I think, one of the really exciting stages and it wasn't one of the ones we got started to finish but watching the replay of the beginning it was just like a group after group going off the front it looked so exciting the entire day yeah it was it was uh it looked really hard and it looked like a classic tour of britain stage in that 
no massive climbs, but just constantly up and down. And the roads are so, we call it dead roads in Australia. This is what I wanted to talk about the roads because this is something that came up many, many times on the coverage and my mom just did not understand. <laughs> yeah. So we have to explain like why the. Like they're just kind of big stones in the tar. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, not like smooth, fast, hot mix asphalt. It's like just rocky and it feels like your tires are flat (laughs) it just feels tough it feels like you've got a headwind just a tiny headwind all day and it just kind of zaps your legs just a little bit more than normal roads do and and because there's no flat it's just like so much false flat up and down sometimes it's like little steep kickers and they're narrow roads and and like a lot of stone walls or hedges so it's just like mentally stressful too you just never can switch off and relax because it's just like a classics race without the cobbles the road is almost cobbled really (laughs) but yeah look it it looked tough I think it was over 2,000 meters of climbing that day which you know caused that selection of the the best of the best and didn't ever actually quite come together but it was so close I think it got back down to 20 seconds and and some of that selection got caught by the group that was being pulled back by DSM but it was just like a drag race and then Grace Brown's attack with about 5k to go was so strong and Elisa and Cassia were the only ones to jump but even they were like hanging it like 10 or 20 meters behind Grace for quite a while like they it took them some time to get onto her and they, they worked together for a little bit and then they forced Grace to the front with 500 metres to go, which was really smart. Um, and then Elisa was the one to jump first and arguably that was the mistake, but I guess she probably just doesn't really have another option um, in the way that we see her as a rider and I think that she sees herself sometimes as a rider and Grace is a good sprinter in her own right, even though she's a bit more of a diesel time trialist and she, she just played it quite cool and made sure that they were on one side and, you know, the rest was history. So <laughs> it wasn't a surprising result, but it was a really exciting finale. Grace, they haven't billed her as one of their leaders this year, along with uh, Cecilia. They have, Amy saying they yes. Did. Yeah. So they've got four leaders because yes. they've got Evita. Yeah. Um, but when they don't have Utra Pludwig and Cavalli, I don't know if, we would have been like, oh yeah, they'll definitely take two stages and wear the leader's jersey for four days. But I mean, this team just like continues to be so impressive to me as a team that's like, we've talked about them so many times, but but the conversation needs to be brought up again after these victories from them. And they dropped the ball a little bit on the final stage, which we'll get to, but I'm just so impressed with this team and they seem to have such a good rapport with each other. They seem to just like really get along within the team and it's, it's showing on the road with the way that they're able to ride together until the last day, until the last day we'll get there. (laughs) But it was great for grace because this is her first victory of the year and going into the next couple races. I mean, she'll be a rider. She's always a rider to watch. Right. I mean, Like she goes off the front all the time and every single time it's like, no, 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 you got, y'all can't let that get away. Um, But going into the Giro and the Tour de France femme, especially she's going to be, I don't know if she's doing both. She's definitely doing the tour, but she'll, she'll be a rider to watch. And I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if she took the leader's Jersey, at least for a day. 
No, and she she's one of those riders that people always say you can't let a rider like that get away. And I think in that finale of that stage, there were maybe some slightly odd tactics going on in that lead group, especially from bike exchange when they had quite a fast sprinter. So you'd think, why was someone like Kristen Faulkner attacking? And you would watch Kristen attack and think, well, no one's getting away on this. Like It's just like draggy, flat road. You're not going to get away solo on this. And then when Grace went, I thought, oh, but Grace could get away solo on this. And obviously she did because she's got that kind of power and she can do it for a more extended amount of time to really build out that um, that gap. And at the time when that that three went, I thought that was a bit of a surprising that wasn't really how I expected it to go. I thought they would either attack each other so much that they got caught or come together for the finish and riders like Kasher and Grace would be caught out by having a better sprinter there in Manly. But they obviously saw that um, issue as well and and went for it. And yeah, it turned out that that was kind of possibly the stage that sorted out the GC more than um, the Mountain did. I think that... Um... Aliza and Kasha, the two of them, I mean, they're two of the most exciting riders in the Peloton, but Aliza, a lot of the times when she's in a group and she knows that she can't win from that group, she doesn't work, but she did do a lot of work for them. Three, all three of them worked really well to stay away from the cha- from the Peloton behind or from the splintered Peloton behind. And, and you're right. I think it did. It was the day that the GC was decided or was at least set up to be decided and it was a great finish and a great and just a great stage. The next day was super exciting as well. Stage five was the stage that finished on a mountaintop. It was a headwind day plus the roads. So what we would have probably thought was going to be a little bit more decisive was actually not as decisive as as I expected it to be. It did. There was a huge group coming to the end. Riders like Ashley Moenpasio, who I think we would have said, oh, this is the perfect stage for her. She actually didn't have that great of a day for her being a pure climber on a climb just because the way that the elements kind of set up the race. But Elisa Longaborghini did take stage five, the queen stage, after getting third the day before. And Grace rode so well to hold on to the general classification as well. Kasha got second again. She's really good at that. Yeah, I think it was a really diesel climb and and more so than we thought just from looking at the, the information about the climb. And I think it just played into Grace's strengths much more than we we maybe thought and there was a headwind I think for the majority of the climb which also would have helped she could have really have stayed a little bit more hidden and just getting those couple of extra watts because uh you know a tailwind climb is actually more difficult if you're not a a true climber to be able to have a little bit of protection um it wasn't as aggressive as we were expecting I thought Ashley Moorman would have been a bit more aggressive but maybe that was because of the headwind to her credit she did attack into the last bit of headwind before a very steep corner. And I think that was her only chance to make her impact, but she just couldn't quite get that gap. But, you know, like it was reasonably clever thing to do, but it just didn't work. Also Um, in defense of Ashley, like she did crash quite badly in like a month ago, if that. So I guess she's probably still on the comeback from that too. Yeah, that's a good point as well. She's probably just working her way back into form for the 
the bigger ones. <laughs> yeah, and SC works. I mean, it didn't make that much of a difference on this climb, um, but maybe it would have if SC works had had Marlon Rusa and and Chanteau Vandenbroek Black. I mean, they lost two of their best domestiques before the queen stage due to a crash. So not an ideal setup for Ashley. No, and I, th- I think Trek showed as well how, especially in that climb, it really did, uh, having the teammates there really helped because Ellen kind of paced it quite a lot um, going into the bottom. And yeah, you can imagine if, if Ash had, t- had someone like Rusa to do a similar job, um, it would have made that a bit easier. But yeah, it was kind of a bit of a, you know, on the race overall, maybe a bit of a disappointing week for uh, SC Works. But then you can't really blame them when they lost probably two of the riders who were best suited to a week like that. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to talk about that sprint right at the end of the climb. It was uh, a bit of a, a dog's breakfast, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah, for Elisa. I mean- <laughs> Great for Elisa, but there was there was like this really interesting moment between Kristen Faulkner and Grace Brown and uh, Alexandra Manley where obviously Alexandra is riding for the general classification and as we will see on the final day, seconds matter. And Kristen was kind of like leading out, was in front of Grace and Alexandra and then she... I tried to follow Kasha, but just basically ended up shoving Grace into the barriers with Alexandra Manley on her wheel. So kind of, it was just an interesting moment. I don't think it made much of a difference, but it definitely, like, we talk so much about team teamwork and how you need to be able to sacrifice. And it was a moment that had me kind of going, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think... We might have said this before on the podcast and I've said it elsewhere of like Kristen Faulkner is just this really big talent, but she just is a bit aimless at the moment and she just needs a bit more direction and leadership to learn because she's so green. And I think that was just a great example of that, of she didn't know she was doing the wrong thing. She was suffering. She just made a last minute attack. She was kind of floating back, you know, still felt okay enough to figure that she could try and follow Cassia's wheel, but not knowing, not having that spatial awareness or that knowing that she was really in the red and she kind of just swung by accident by what I saw is just poor, you know, I don't know what the word is, I guess. Awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And just not realizing that her teammate was going to be impacted by that. And I, like, I think you just said, like, I don't think the overall result would have changed anyway, but it was just one of those things that shouldn't have happened. And Grace had the little kick right at the end to make sure she didn't lose a second, which was cool to see that she had that power, but it would have been frustrating for them to, you know, like completely they're all in the red by that point and they're all just scrambling for the line. And and it's super annoying if someone swings in front of you like that. Yeah. And something like that, maybe it didn't make a difference now, but it could make a difference at any other moment. Like in the Giro, it could lose Alexandra Manley a win or could lose her a general classification uh, spot or anyone else. So yeah, I think this is something that we used to see a lot more often is riders who are just super, super strong and are able to make it onto world tour teams with just one or two good results or even just having strong power. I know that that's something that EF, Tibco, Silicon Valley, bank the um 
manager of that team, she really looks at power and that's how she found Kristen is she knew that she had really good power. And so she signed her and she'd never even raced in Europe before Tibco brought her over to do our dash. That's been a thing in the women's peloton for a really long time, but it's not really going to fly as women's cycling continues to progress, being able to put out tons of power, but not being able to ride a bike or figure out tactics. It's just not something that, yeah, as we continue to grow, you won't be able to get away with it anymore. I think it's also, it just goes back to like the development argument. Like if there was a better pathway for someone like her to go through, instead of just being like dumped in the world tour and like sink or swim, I think it just would have been a bit, it's just, yeah, it's a better way to kind of develop. Cause like, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like if you just come into bike racing and like, if you're strong enough, like she needed to do maybe another year of, lower level racing before coming into the world tour I mean it's the same thing as like the Zwift Academy people isn't it it's like Mm. they either sink or swim true that yeah I think we're we're always going to have those riders that um that are just really really strong and find their way into the world tour because you see it in the men's as well I mean it's not like it's the women's only, it just happens less often in the men's. But I think, yeah, the, the difference is if you have a team that is willing to, or people around you that are willing to teach you the basics. And I don't think that Faulkner is someone sat her down and taught her the basics, like how to corner and stuff like that. I also wonder if with, with, um, Faulkner, she has kind of fell foul to the fact that she's being quite hyped up and, she is a good rider and she won that stage in the ladies tour of Norway. But sometimes the tactics dictate that you should kind of cede to the better rider and be a domestique. And there were, you know, it was a five group, five rider group that came to the line with two bike exchange riders, one who has a good sprint. Everyone was saying at the finish that the headwind meant that it was quite easy in the wheels. So you think, why wasn't Faulkner just sticking in front of Manly and taking her to the line? But instead, she was the one making it really hard in the fu- in the final by attacking. And it wasn't just her, obviously. And Manly said she didn't really have the legs in the finish anyway. But yeah, I kind of think that maybe if you're a rider like Faulkner and you think, oh, this is kind of a stage that suits me. You sometimes should look past that and think, actually, what's the better team outcome here? And even though you are a good rider, that doesn't mean always going for yourself. Definitely. Well, the general classification going into the final day was, I mean, tight. <laughs> Grace Brown leading, but tied on time with Lisa Longaborghini and Cashini Wadoma in third, only two seconds behind, which meant that on the final day, the bonus seconds midway through the stage were going to play a factor. And Trek Segafredo did a full-blown lead out into the bonus seconds, but Grace Brown still managed to take all of the seconds. So going into the final sprint, it was, Amy said it in the group chat. Grace has this. Yeah, I was like, sure. Oh, you cursed it. It's all your fault. Hey, it's my fault. <laughs> it's all yeah. your fault. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I actually, I was on the phone to the FTJ director and I was like, you've got this. You don't need to sprint to finish. Okay, goodbye. Um, <laughs> but also like, can we rewind slightly to the, way the GC was going into that stage because you know that meme of that woman who's like got all the mass equations 
that was me <laughs> trying to work out like what the hell was going on because like how did that how are they tied on time like it wasn't it uh like stage placings in the end that made it so that grace was still I was yeah. like what the hell like because well, grace had first you're... and third and elisa had first and fifth basically i don't know about the other stages but i think they were so far out because i think they like do they count back down to like 67th place i don't know but yeah they do sometimes if it comes to that so, but um yeah there was a little bit of discussion at the end of stage five uh certain teams saying maybe there was a gap at the line but mm, i don't think there really was I mean, it was like a hilltop finish, so they could have been a little bit more um, selective with the bonus, with the second, with the gaps in between everybody. They just wanted the tight GC going into the last day. Hey, they were like, "No, I mean, this is." They perfect. succeeded. This yeah, it was really tight. <laughs> also, query. I was like, some tours they don't do time bonuses on hilltop finishes, do they? Like, or is that something I'm just making up? No, usually if the if the stage finishes like on top of a hill, there aren't time bonuses on the line. Yeah, really? Do they not have you know like grand tours on the men's stuff? Like, don't they? They do have that, don't no, they? Never. They never, usually have them never, in like ever. the first ten stages, and they're more like flat ones. So on a mountain, because the idea is that you're meant to already have a time gap. Oh, right? the gaps, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Too much math involved for me here. <laughs> Can we talk you, about you are really bad at math. It's literally this adding numbers a... less than 10, Amy. This shouldn't be hard. I did foundation GCSE maths, mate. Oh, oh, I, was in <laughs> I am shit at math. Uh, anyway, so Grace won the intermediate sprint. So going into the finale, it really looked like she was gonna win the overall, but Elisa Longaborghini pulled out the sprint of her life to finish third on the stage, take four bonus seconds, and win the overall by one second, which was wild legendary it was amazing it was. look if it was anyone else i would have been quite pissed off but you know it's elisa she's a fan favorite no matter what country you're from she can have it but i really wanted grace to take the overall and i think you can learn a lot from this this finish as a writer but as a fan um in that if you are so tight on GC, you never, ever let that person out of your sight. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, your team Grace, you do that. Grace definitely got um, a little bit complacent, I think, after taking the bonus seconds. I don't know and, if Grace but, herself did or if the team just flicked her yeah, a bit. But I see that's the hard thing is like the the team needs to be around her at all times. So Capone going for the win and finishing second is, I mean, still a great result for her. But obviously winning the overall would have been a better takeaway for FDJ. And so there was, I think it's both. I think Grace Grace needed to like really be stuck to Elisa Longborghini, especially when it was so close. And I think the team also like dropped the ball supporting Grace and Capone shouldn't have been going for the stage, especially when it's like up against, oh, you, you she agrees <laughs> up against Weebus. Like you're not, it's she like anything can happen. Like, yes, we saw that on the first day, but at that point in the race, like all, all eggs should have been in Grace in the, in the Grace basket. And they all dropped the ball, all of them. Grace, it was on her shoulders to make sure that she won the race and like stay in the front. But I think she can take as much blame as the team, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and she she was quite keen to say at the finish that she wasn't just rolling in and it was a messy sprint and um, all of this. But as much as she was battling for herself back in, I think it was 12th that she finished, that would have been an easy job if she had Caponi with her. But it did make me think that maybe if in the peloton, um, if they thought DSM were going for cool, maybe they thought, oh, well, Caponi won't have a chance here. But So I don't know if that just threw off the whole thing. Um, but yeah, Grace, it was a bit of a shame. And I think um, she did say that they they thought they had it sewn up after the first intermediate stage sprint. But also Elisa said after that sprint, where she got fourth, she was really disappointed. And she thought, okay, well, that's it. I'll finish second. And then the team said, no, come on, let's go for the um, the final sprint and we'll really deliver you. And they had been checking out the finish because um, it was slightly technical with quite a, um, you know, a 90 degree turn onto St. Giles in the last 20, uh, 250 meters. So they were really prepared, but Elisa had kind of also resigned herself to not doing it after the first sprint. Um, so I think it was kind of a surprise for everyone involved that that was the way it turned out. I'm sticking to my Elisa lost on purpose to trick Grace into thinking she had it. That's what I thought too. That's what I thought. Yeah, because they really cocked up that first intermediate sprint. Like with Audrey taking the points and then, yeah, shouldn't get anything. So I thought it was pure mind games, but Elisa seemed to say it wasn't. Hmm, well, she would say that, just, wouldn't she? Exactly. Just from her photos exactly. from the end, she looked pretty stoked, <laughs> pretty amazed. Yeah. Beautiful lesson in believing in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I have to eat my words about Trek Segafredo not being able to compete in the stage races. I think weirdly, this is maybe a race that actually really suits a team, a team like Trek and the riders they have, because I think the criticism that I would often level at Trek is that they don't have the best climbers and they don't have the best sprinters. And so in a stage race and on stages, they just don't have that like obvious choice. But actually, in a race where you don't have the biggest climbs and there's not the stacked sprinting, sprinting field, those kind of middle ground all-rounders that are sometimes a bit disappointing in a stage race are actually the perfect person. So... On, fr- on Saturday, it seemed like a surprise that Elisa had won, but thinking back, she is that really all-round rider who has a decent climb and a decent sprint, and I think that's just exactly um, what you need on that kind of slightly less hard um, six-day tour like the women's tour is. Agreed. Once it comes time for the big mountains in the Giro in the Tour de France, I think it'll be a little bit different, but they'll have Leah, Leah Thomas back at the Giro, so hopefully that means... Hopefully, we don't know how she's riding, obviously, after surgery and everything, but she looked like she was really coming into form in the last couple races. So I'm super excited to see what she can do because she's a pretty decent climber, not a pure climber, but she's still she's still good. And so they will have more numbers going into the Giro. But yeah, I feel they like, don't have like a pure climber on the team at all, which I feel like any team that doesn't have like climber who can like a pure climber I'm really reluctant to say pure climber but a rider who can climb really well on mountains like the Planche de Belfield like should I really badly pronounce that should not go into the tour looking for GC like they should go looking for stages yeah you're not going to win GC unless you've got a rider that can be up there on the climb like that and sometimes going for stages is more I mean it's more fun it's more exciting And sometimes like if you can win multiple stages, you walk away from the race being more memorable than who won the GC. 
Yeah, or, or who comes like ninth on GC. There's, yeah, I think especially in a race like the Tour de France Femme, it, it's possibly different in the men's tour where a top 10 is a bit more coveted. But I think if you're outside of the top five in the GC come July, unless you're like a rider who that's a crazy result for, like some random French rider, no offence. But yeah, I think they, I really hope they're just forgetting about GC for that race because it just already seems like a bit of a lost cause. But there are definitely some stages they could go for sprints. Um, not sprints, stages. Yeah, for sure. And they'll have Balsamo back. So when it comes to sprints, they have, we, we talked about this in like the group chat, but Webus is amazing. Balsamo has also proved this year that she's pretty incredible. And we've not really, we got to see them go up against each other a bit in the classics, but not in these pure sprinty type finales. So it's, I'm really looking forward to seeing them against each other in the Tour de France Femme in the first couple stages of the Tour de France Femme. We obviously don't know who's going to the Giro yet, but I would assume that both of them would be going to the Giro as well, especially because Balsamo sat out the women's tour. Do you think that old Corinne could have been as fast as current Lorena? No. Do you think that Corinne's I don't think so. lost speed in the last few years because she's been better all-rounder and climber? I think that she has definitely adapted her riding to be a little bit more of an all-rounder, but I still don't think that Corinne at her peak would have outsprinted Weebus. She's just so good. Like, yeah, maybe like Kirsten Wheel at her peak. I don't know. I don't know too much about like really, really top sprinters back in the day. But but what about Corinne with the Team DSM lead out now and Weebus without it? Maybe Corinne with the United Healthcare lead out. They were like mm. really, really good at it as well. I think maybe uh, Lorena Vibis in a weird way probably has Corinne to thank for some things and that they really developed that, not the riders, but the notion of that lead out at DSM partly comes from having um, Corinne in the team. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mentioned United Healthcare, like they most I've mentioned it as a joke, but not really. I mean, they were incredible at the lead outs back, like in the U S crit scene. And those are really the best ways to perfect a lead out. It's so fast. There's a lot of corners. You've got to really be on your game. And I remember one race that I did with them. I was first lead out because I can't go fast. <laughs> and we, we had like, oh my gosh, we just had like the perfect lead out. It was incredible. It was a night crit. There was like a chicane at one point and then two left turns to the finish. And UHC was just so good. We got one, two, three on that, in that race because it was just like once all of the riders lined up at the front, no one could come around. And Corinne, Corinne won that race, but she also, she was a lot of her formative years in bike racing were with that team. And that was one of the things that Rachel Heal and Lauren Tamayo really like nailed into Corinne's head was how to do a lead out. It was, we went over that so much. And so Corinne would be a rider that more than a lot of Europeans, I think would be able to do execute the perfect lead out. I don't think Yumbo Visma, like obviously that, yeah, that, um, skill is not going to really come into play at Yembo Visma a ton, mostly because they don't have, I don't know if it's not that, I don't know if it's that they don't have the, 
power because I think they do, but I think it's just not in their, it, it wouldn't be something that would interest them to like get a full lead out going. They just wouldn't, wouldn't be keen on I feel like the fact is, is that a lot of teams don't have enough riders to like divide it into like a sprint team with a lead out train and a team that can go for like GC or like climbers or classics or whatever. Like if you're hiring riders, like a lot of them are like hedging between like, there's just, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. There just isn't like the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you kind of need to have a domestique that can do a bit more than just a lead out. Like Charlotte Cool is never going to be selected for like a harder stage to be in that domestique role. And so, yeah, if you're looking at what riders are signed, you're thinking, okay, someone who can do a bit of both, but then they're actually like not the best at either of them. So hire more riders. Just the, get more money. Hire the, more the takeaway of 2022. It's simple. Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> But it's, I feel like it's only going to become harder that because with the minimum wage going up every year, which is a good thing, but it's going to be a lot by like 2025, I looked at. And if these teams don't get more, um, you know, cash coming in, how can they expand their teams in that way? suppose the theory behind that would have been that, or the hope would be that there's enough money kind of around by that point mm. to match it. But like, you're right, like rather than maybe like paying people more and more, like it'd be more beneficial on the whole, obviously not on an individual level to have more riders rather than more higher paid, like just a few higher paid riders. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've always been of the mind that they should better distribute salaries in cycling. Because, I mean, it happens, I think, more on the men's side, but it, but definitely, like, if you compared what Lizzie is... Well, Trek's not a great example, I don't think. But, like, if you compared what Webus is making to what Megan Jastrab is making, it's probably a pretty insane gap. Which, obviously, like, Webus should be paid more. She's more... She wins. But how does she get there? Mm. I can't, I can't even conceptualize how much a big salary is in women's cycling. I couldn't guess how much Vibus was on. I I think DSM is a weird team. Like I've I've heard from riders that have been on the team in the past that they pay pretty poorly. Um, but I think like for a rider like Vibus, they'd have to pay her quite a bit. But were, were they the were they the team that on their men's side they were paying every rider the same? UCI minimum wage for some reason and that's why some that's why like Mark Hershey left and now is on like two million at UAE but then that yeah I I do see the reasons for that but then also if if you're a Vibus you would leave <laughs> I don't know yeah well yeah yeah for sure I don't think everyone should get paid the same but I but I think the gap is too much yeah that's just for domestics yeah exactly it's a team sport so that was the women's tour it was I mean exciting i think the most exciting thing for me was actually being able to watch it it was fantastic the next race is coming up we actually don't have a world tour race until june 30th when we line up for the giro so we've got a little bit of time before then but in between that there's a bunch of one days and there's also the tour de swiss and the lotto belgium tour so we got a little bit of racing going on still a little bit of time to perfect those skills before the two big races of the summer the giro and the tour coming up and we'll be back next week to talk about well something. We'll be back. But there'll be there'll be a podcast. I don't know what it is yet. Just catch up, talk about what we did the weekend, you know. Mm, yeah. The huge. Yeah. But thank you so much for listening. 
We'll talk to you next week. Bye.